Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, another day in the land of the living. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy in our lives. And thank you, Father, for all of us who are here in this sanctuary this evening. And even as now we meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts. Father, we just don't want to take any meeting for granted lightly. You know, Lord Father, and we believe that every time we come together to meet and to sit around your word, Father, eternity hangs in the balance. Eternal decisions, O Lord, have to be made. That we will be cleansed a little more and be sanctified and set apart even a little more. And and that we will be caused to walk in your ways, O Lord. As you said in your in the in, in your word in the new covenant that you will write your law in the in our hearts and in our minds, and you will pour out your spirit upon us, so that we will walk in your ways. Thank you. I pray, Father, that Lord, even as we now meditate upon your word, that you will anoint us, the speaking and the hearing, that every obstacle for hearing and speaking and understanding your word be removed in the name of Jesus, and Father. Speak to every one of us, beginning with me and to all of us. To that end, I pray that you would bless, Father, the sharing of this word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, very good to see Lata back in good shape. Thank God. Alright, so anyway, so look, today we'll um, look continuously, uh, I mean continue to look at the things that we've been learning at, at uh, church. Uh, we heard last Sunday's message, uh, how that, that God is good all the time and, uh, that He is working in us in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 will say, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are uh, the called according to His purpose. So everything in our lives, God is working in us, uh, so that we will be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and 29 will say, whom he called, uh, I mean, those whom he has predestined, them also he has called, and those whom he has called, them also he has justified, and those whom he has justified, them also he has glorified, and he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So, God is good all the time, and it is the good of goodness of God that leads us to repentance, and we looked at different dimensionalities of how God is good. Right, and we will continue to study on that topic today, um, and I'm not going to divert too much from that to strengthen what we have already learned in in a in a slightly different way to be able to see how God is good and how He works in our lives. God is good all the time. Okay, we'll come to that. God is good when He afflicts. That's what we looked at that last time, right? It's very interesting. There are a series of verses in. Um, in Psalm 119, and there's a, there's a kind of a progression that I would want you, uh, want to draw your attention to. Uh, I'm looking at Psalm 119, verse 67. Look at what it says. Before I was afflicted, read that. I went astray, but now I keep your word. So is it good that we are afflicted? Yeah, is it? Because you know why? All of us have the tendency to go astray. Prone to wander. Lord, we feel it prone to leave the God I love. Therefore, he has to afflict us So, in order for us to keep his word. Alright? And then, verse 71, 67, and then 71. It is good 
for me that I was afflicted. That's the next verse. That I might, what? Learn your statutes. Okay? I will not go astray and I'll keep his, keep your word. So it is good that I should be afflicted. It is good that I may be afflicted so that I might learn the statutes of God. Statutes or decrees. Ordinances, if you will. Many other translations will use. What does it, what does it mean? What to do and what not to do? <laughs> statutes. Alright? Verse 75. Again. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. You see that three verses over there which talk about afflictions that we, that God allows in our lives. Okay. So, primarily to keep his word that we will not go astray, that we might learn the statutes and the ordinances of God. Is there no other way to learn? Yeah. That is how we learn also, right? How do children learn? Most of the time by making mistakes. Okay. See, um, the, your, your entire walking process, by the way, how did you learn to walk? First, when you were a baby, you flipped. That day, mommy said, oh, great. Flipped. Then you started crawling. Right? Then you started crawling and then uh, you brought the home down. Okay. And then you started walking slowly, step by step, and over a period of time, your neural system is kind of training your body to uh, balance your center of gravity. And how do you learn? By falling and getting up, falling and getting up. And then you know what not to touch and what to touch, where to go, where not to go. All these things you learn by making a lot of mistakes. That is what he's saying. It was good that I made, uh, that I was allowed to make so many mistakes so that I could learn the statutes of God. Alright, so Afflictions God uses so that we might learn. And the last one, that we might know that he's faithful. Look at, we heard that, we we sang that song, right? Um, uh, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Uh, That his mercies will never end, right? So how do we learn that? When we are afflicted and we know him in a much more deeper and a closer way, right? So that is what we understand and see in 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 our study from scripture. That God is faithful and when he's faithful, he afflicts us. Right? If it, the first thing that can happen to us is God allowing us to have our way. Alright? So don't, don't ever think that God has, God is angry with you. No, He is not angry. He's faithful. That you might know that He's faithful. Let's move on. And then God is good when He afflicts. Another verse, a series of verses which I, I thought was fantastic. Why? There is a purpose for which He allows affliction in our lives. Or He afflicts. Now, in uh, he uses somebody, some rod to afflict us. Lamentations chapter three, verses thirty-one to thirty-three. For the Lord will not cast off forever, though He causes grief. Who causes grief? God causes grief. Yet He will show compassion according to the multitude of His mercies. He does not afflict willingly. For He does not afflict willingly, and it's not sadist. God, why are you afflicting me? You are a sadist. No, so many people use that word. You are a sadist, God. What is going on in my life? He's not a sadist. He's some, he wants to work in us and he wants to do something. There's a purpose for which um, God wants to, uh, I mean, he allows affliction in our lives. And that is something which we need to understand carefully. So what is the nature of God's work, therefore? In all our affliction, how does God work? See, primarily God has Two ways in which he works. Or rather, 
uh, not in which he works, the way he works in our lives is two, two ways primarily. First, in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, we look at what, what uh, scripture says in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory. Uh, and the hope of glory of God. What is the first work that God does in our lives is that God does a work for us. What is a work for us? He justifies us and gives us a right standing with him. That's the first work God does for us. What is it? No good work can give, get you a right standing with God. No way. You cannot earn your righteousness. God does that work for you through the blood of his son. Okay, so in him we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. He is our righteousness. He clothes us with his righteousness. That's the first work that God does. He does a work for us and that is what we glibly or rather in an abstract uh, terminology we call as justification. He justifies us and gives us the gift of repentance. He starts that process in our lives. First thing, it's just a beginning by the way. It is not, it is not the end. And many Christians stop there. Justification, forgiveness of sins. No, that is only a, go, a work that God does for us. And it is something that, which uh, is not involving us in any way. Except that we repent. Alright. So, and the second work is Colossians 1.27. Look at this. I, I just wanted to look at this. The hope of the glory, right? The hope of the glory of God. What is this hope of the... How do we attain to that hope of the glory of God? We don't attain to the hope of the glory of God any other way, except that in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, this is what he calls this kind of work. What is this work? To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of, of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ, where? In you, the hope of glory. What is this kind of work? The work of God in us. So two works God does. The work of God for us, that's just the beginning of our salvation, and because our salvation is salvation to the uttermost, Okay, by one sacrifice he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified by faith. So there is a, there is a process of salvation. The beginning is justification, the work that God does for us, and then there is another work, which God, work, uh, the work of God, uh, in us, and for that, it's not easy, it's a process that he takes us through. Right? So we again see it in Romans chapter 5, look at what, the same chapter where the hope of the glory of God is mentioned. And not only this, but we also exult or rejoice in tribulations. Uh, this is the New American Standard Version. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, what? No, no, just not character. It's proven character. This is not character. Okay. It is proven. I like that. That is the reason why I chose that word uh, translation NASB. It is proven character. Okay. Every one of us have to be proven. So the first thing, the work of God in us, sorry, for us. The second second thing is the work of, work of God for in us. So you have, he takes us through all kinds of tribulations so that he can produce what? Proven character. And what does proven character produce? Produces hope. You see? The hope of the glory of God, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what is he producing in us? He's producing the character of Christ through perseverance. And most of the time, believers want to give up. Easily. You see. Very, very easy for believers to ask, Lord, Ninesh, I had enough of this. I'm just throwing in the towel, as they say, you know. So, 
So this is something which I thought was very, very important. And the one lesson that I learned uh, through my study in scripture and through these days uh, in, 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 in Christ or walking with God and failing and falling and, and doing all those things to come back to him. The one lesson that I learned, you know, God cannot do a work through us until he does a deep work in us. What God has to do, first he has to do a deep work in us so that he can work through us. Until that point, we are still not ready. Okay, And that is where all these trials and afflictions etc. are you know, um, used by God to do the deep, deep work in us, to cut deeper, to make our repentance deep. That's what we looked at on pastor's conference, right? Uh, Luke's gospel chapter 6. Who is this wise man? He is the one who digs deep until he hits the foundation. You see, it's a deep work that God does in every one of our lives. And he has to be allowed to do that deep work in us. We'll come to that. So the deeper the work in my life, the better the work through my life. Okay. So that is the reason why scripture says in Psalm 42 verse 7, deep what? calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. God is doing a deep work in every one of our lives. And if this year is the year of our destiny, then God has to be allowed to do a deeper work in us. Yeah. So, understand this. And if you look, this, look at this principle through the Bible. Through the Bible, you will look at this, this, this principle. And one of the man, one of the uh, man, men who was used of God mightily, Mightily for a great work of deliverance in the new, in the Old Testament. For a great work of deliverance in the Old, old Covenant. Who is it? Uh, Moses. Yeah, Moses. And he also was not used for mighty work of deliverance, but he also wrote the first five books of Moses. It's huge. And this man, look at, look at, uh, his testimony. His testimony, I mean, it's found in Exodus chapter 18 when Jethro comes and, uh, and, 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 and uh, visits Moses and Moses comes and, you know, uh, pays homage to his father-in-law and uh, his father-in-law is, uh, asking him a lot of questions and he gives his testimony. Moses gives his personal testimony and this is what uh, Jethro has to say after listening to the testimony of Moses in Exodus chapter 18 verses 10 and 11. Look at what it says. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And now the Lord is greater than all the gods. Look at what. First, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you. First, okay, Moses, you have been delivered. From where? From the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh. Two deliverances happened to you, Moses. First of all, you've been delivered from the hand of the Egyptians. What is hand? What does Egypt mean? The word Egypt comes, it's, it's an English anglicized rendering. The original translation for the word Egypt is Mizorim. Mizorim means which besieged by walls. You've been besieged by walls. You, you're completely enslaved to your sin, to your passions, to your lusts, to the power of sin. So what God has done, he has dealt with you by delivering you from your own sin first. And then he has also delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh. You know what the word Pharaoh means? A large house. Isn't it interesting? It's, Jesus says, if a strong man of the house has to be bound up first, and then all the other things can be delivered in his life. So what God does, he, 
exactly did the same thing in the in the life of uh, of Moses in that he delivered him not only from the sin but he delivered him from the power of satan from the power of satan to the power of god from the power of his lusts to the freedom that god provides in him he was delivered first and first god had to do a deep work in the life of Moses so that he could deliver the people from under the pharaoh under the Egyptians. So in other words, there's one principle you should understand. You cannot be a deliverer without being delivered. Isn't it interesting? I mean, if you, if you use this principle, you cannot be a doctor unless, until your medicine heals you. Okay. Uh, most of the time, doctors are using us as experiments. <laughs> that is the reason why possibly they don't put their marks sheets on their uh, on their clinics. What is the, how much did you get in anatomy? Just pass. Can you imagine a doctor who just passed in anatomy and nobody will go to his clinic? You just passed in anatomy and you are expecting me to submit my anatomy to you. You see, but the, the point here is that many doctors, they do a lot of nonsense and they'll tell you not to do that nonsense. But they can afford to do that. For example, uh, brother, um, patient, don't smoke, you will get cancer. But these are the fellows who can, they smoke like a chimney. I know my friend, his name is Bhaktiar. Uh, his father was a very famous doctor in the railway hospital. A very, very, very famous doctor. One of the best doctors in uh, in uh, the railway hospital. Railway hospital uh, doctors are crazy. Okay, this was one guy who was really, really set apart, but one chain smoker. The irony of it all. See, the the principle is you cannot deliver others unless you. But in Christianity, it's different. You cannot speak about deliverance unless until you have experienced deliverance in your own life, because Christianity is subjective. It's not just an objective truth. It's an experience. You see? Are you understand that? So that's a principle that God uses. And you know what? Just because God has dealt with you and set you apart, it does not mean he's, he's going to just put, put you on the pedestal and not work with you. In, in fact, if you're a leader, he's going to work in your life even more strictly to ensure that you will truly become the hand of deliverance. Look at what it says in Exodus chapter 4. Everybody knows this. Very very uh, famous episode. This is after the burning bush experience that Moses has been commissioned by God to be the deliverer of what? Of the Israelites from the hand of Egypt, Egyptians, right? Look at what happens on the way to Egypt. In Exodus chapter 4 verses 24 onwards. And it came to pass on the way at the, encamp- at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Kill the deliverer. You see that? Well, just because you are a leader, you know what's going to happen to you? You are going to be dealt with even more severely by God. Even the little, little areas in your life, you might have been circumcised, but your son has not been circumcised. Who's the leader of your home? Madam Zipporah. You cannot lead your own home and now you are expecting God to use you to lead the whole people. You cannot just be a leader in your own home, but you are expecting God to use you to be the, become the leader and the deliverer of, of Israel. They will say, physician, heal yourself. <laughs> then you can heal us. You see, 
So what does what does Sipura understands the whole thing and she immediately takes a flint flint knife and cuts off uh, the foreskin of her son and and she uses this word uh, you are a husband of blood to me I mean I don't know whatever that mysterious language is uh, I don't know maybe she was frustrated so he said so he let him go then she said you are a husband of blood because of circumcision you see mark of separation is not in your own life and you want to be the separated leader. For the separation of Israel. Nonsense. It's not going to work. You see. God has to do a deep work in us. You remember? Remember that process where just before, after they cross the river Jordan, before they, uh, before they uh, cross, I mean, after they cross the river Jordan, before they go into Jericho, what happened? The entire generation was not circumcised in the wilderness. And they were all supposed to be separated people. And you know what God asked them? Circumcise everyone for three days. They were healed and then God used them to deliver. Okay. So you can't be a deliverer unless God, I mean, you can't deliver others unless you yourself are delivered. You cannot heal others unless you yourself are healed. You know what happens? In many places, Christian, they, I mean, brothers and sisters, they are not healed. Suddenly they will become doctors in other people's lives. And start telling them what to do and what not to do. And all kinds of wrong counsel flows. Why? Because they are not being delivered. Okay. Be careful. That is the reason why it says, not many should be what? Teachers. So specific calling. Alright. Romans chapter 2. Again, look at what this principle. It comes over and over again. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, uh, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? <laughs> Strong words. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of the God, the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. See, that is the reason why the greatest hindrance to the gospel is Christians. Because they have not proven God in their own lives. Okay, so God has to do a what? A work in us. So that he can work through us. Get that principle. A deep work in us so that he can work and do up incredible work through us. You know, you see, uh, it's like doctors, no? Doctors, they train for years and years to become surgeons. Can you imagine? I mean, apparently to get a PG in neuros, neuro is possibly the toughest. Am I right? Toughest to become a neurosurgeon? Toughest. One cut he will charge maybe a lakh for one cut. But for that one cut, he has gone through a process of refining. Come to that. So God has to do a work in us. Now this work of God is not cat theology. As I said, no? It is what theology? Kangaroo theology. What is kangaroo theology? He works in partnership with us. Look at what it says. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore my brothers, beloved, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, so now, not only is as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation, not your neighbor's salvation, your own salvation, not your wife's salvation, your own salvation, not your child's salvation, your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you. God is working in you, but you work out. That's the principle. God works in you, but you should work out. Your own salvation. In partnership with God. 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God always works in partnership. He, There is a call of God in our lives, but just because we have a call of God, it does not automatically mean that the call will come to pass without our our partnering with God and our cooperating with the Spirit of God in our lives. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 9. Look at what it says. What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make, uh, this is Romans chapter 9, I'm just looking at the principle here, over here, okay? What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much pa- much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy? That means there's a vessels of mercy and the vessels of wrath which he prepared beforehand uh, for glory, meaning God has prepared beforehand. This It's a lamb of God who has been slain before the foundations of the world. He has seen you in Christ before the foundations of the world were laid on. But does, does that mean that it is automatically going to come, come to pass? No. Look at what it says in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for Dishonorable use, therefore if anyone cleanses himself from what is what? Dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Do you see that? God has ordained that we should become vessels of mercy. But how do we become vessels of mercy? When we cleanse ourselves from that which is dishonorable in our lives. Okay. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the by the word of God. By the sanctification of the word of God. You see that is the reason why it says, sanctify them by your truth. And what is truth? Your word is truth. In Telugu it's very interesting. Pratishta, set apart and establish. It's beautiful. You see, so this is, that is the reason why we come to the study of the word of God. So that even as we by faith obey and listen to the word of God, God fills us with faith and with a spirit and works in us, shows us areas in our lives. And then causes us to walk in his way. So there's a deep work that God wants to do in our lives. So first God works in us in partnership. Not as, not we just sit back and relax. No, there is no easy chair Christian. It is a battle. We all know it. Life itself is a battle. Christian life is a bigger battle. Simple. Alright. So that's the idea over here. Now the point here is this. People in the world are fighting a battle that they will, they they can never win. And we are fighting a battle that we can never lose. That's the point. That's the difference. We are all in a battle, but we are fighting a battle that we can never lose. But God has to do a deep work in us. So in order for God to do a deep work in us, there are certain principles that God uses. Okay? What are those principles that God uses in order to do a deep work in us? Okay? Wednesday study. So we will study how God, what are the principles with which God uh, works in our lives. Okay. So let us look at a particular passage in uh, the Old Testament to understand this principle. These principles. There are three principles. Okay. This is three principles. Singling. Hmm? Singling. Separation. And suffering. SSS. So that we can become, become a sanctuary. Result. Singling. Separation. Suffering. Sanctuary. That is my message. Easy to remember. Okay. S, 4S. What is 4S principle? Okay. Singling. Separation. Separation. Suffering, sanctuary. We sing that song, right? 
Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Really? It's easy to sing that song. But to become a sanctuary for God, there are certain principles that God uses and we have to submit and surrender ourselves to those principles. So listen carefully. Okay, let us look at those principles. Okay, First Kings chapter 17 verse 1. First, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives whom before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now suddenly there's one guy called Elijah who comes into the scene. No, God is working in his life. He comes, delivers one line message and again disappears. Okay. So but we will try to understand what those principles are. So what happens? Verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to me, came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kerioth or Cherith. Kerioth actually, the Hebrew which flows into the Jordan, and you see the Jordan becoming a very significant part, right? Jordan stands for separation. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Where? At Kerioth. So what is Kerioth? First thing, Kerioth means separation or cutting away. But before I come to cutting away... One of the things, one of the first principles that I want us to know is, read this together. God works on us as individuals. There is no group identity. You understand? There is no group identity. God has no grandchildren. All are children, sons. Okay. There's nothing called group identity. No, there's no Gumpulo Govindam Nalgulutan Arana. No. What does, what does it mean? I'll give you a very interesting example. No, because people are, they just come to church and when the worship leader says hallelujah, they all say hallelujah. Uh, when they say praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. So, uh, there's one Christian uh, horse trader. Okay. He bought a horse one day and one of his and one horse, he loved it. And because he's a Christian horse trader, he trained the horse in a very interesting way. So, he tells the horse, praise the Lord brother, and he salutes. He trained it so that the horse will sit down like this. So that you can get onto the horse. Okay. Next, God is good. The horse goes into a slow trot. Okay. And then it says, hallelujah. It speeds up. If you say hallelujah another time, double the speed. Okay. Amen. Come to a stop. Okay. This is how he trained the horse. Praise the Lord, brother. You'll sit down. Okay. Get on. Say, God is good. Gentle trot. Hallelujah. Speed. Amen. Stop. So one fellow looks at this comes to the horse train. Then he looks at this and he looks at this horse and the training and he says, Baba, this is fantastic. Uh, please, please give me this horse. But you should know the commands. He said, yeah, yeah, the commands are very simple. What is this nonsense? Praise the Lord. Uh, God is good. Uh, hallelujah. Amen. So simple. And beautiful, nice, fantastic horse. Okay. Very good breed. 
So he takes the horse now. He's taking it to his ranch now. But he wants to try it on now. Now he wants to test it out. So he says, praise the Lord brother. The horse bends. He gets on the horse. He likes the feel of the horse. And he says, beautiful, that's nice. And he says, God is good. Gentle trot. And he says, wow, this is good. Very nice. Hallelujah. The moment it says, hallelujah, this fellow takes off in a with a, such tremendous speed and this follows. He loses, I mean, he, he loses his mind and it's going faster and faster and faster and suddenly he forgets the command to say how to stop it. And he's trying everything. God is good. Oh, hallelujah. When he says hallelujah, is going even more faster. And he's, and he goes through the country, goes through the ranches, it go, and he doesn't stop this horse. And then he's going so fast, coming to the edge of a cliff now. About, just about, about a few hundred yards away from the, uh, to, away from the, to the, the edge of the cliff, and he's coming, he comes, suddenly remembers, oh, he says, Amen! And then the horse comes to a screeching halt and stops at the edge of the cliff, and he says, Hallelujah! <laughs> Gone. You got the scene. That is what we call as group identity. Everybody says hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't have convictions of our own. See, God has no grandchildren. Meaning what? God works in individual lives. That is what God does. We are all a body of Christ, right? But God is looking and working in each one of our lives separately. Look at this principle. I want to show you several scriptures so that you know this is indeed the scripture. Okay, look at what it says in Mark's Gospel chapter 7, verse 31 onwards. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and and he had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Okay, you got that? And you know what, look at, look at how Jesus deals with this fellow. Look at this, okay, look at this principle. And taking him aside from the crowd privately. Nana, you got to check, separate. Because this, if you belong to a group, you know, that is what we need to understand. God is not just, we don't identify ourselves as grace tabernacles, Christians. No, 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 we don't identify as church members primarily. We are children of God. He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, be open. And his ears were open. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. So in other words, you know what God does typically to every one of us? You know what he does? If he wants to speak to us, you know what he does? He drags us away through circumstances and trials and separates us from the crowd and speaks to us individually. Having so many voices in our minds. What is going to happen to my future? What is going to happen to my children? What is going to happen to this? What is going to happen to this? This voice, that voice, so many voices have crowded the voice of God. So what should God do? He has to separate us and speak to us individually. Again, Mark's Gospel chapter 8. And they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. So every time you have a bunch of people, so what does Jesus do? And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the 
village. First thing, no, 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 Separate. No group identity, please. And then when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And then he says, and he looked and said, I see people, but they look like trees. If he was with uh, others, they would have said, hey, hey, that is Vijay. That, no, no, no. He, God says, okay, you don't see it clearly. Otherwise, others will see for you. And most happen, most of the times, you know, it happens in Christianity. Other people are seeing for you. Oh, brother, you're going to go to US next year. Who said? They're seeing for you. But most of the time, you know what God is doing? He's separating our voices and he's saying, what do you see? Oh, it looks like yours. No, 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 no. Let me just do that once again. It looks, no, no, it doesn't look like, oh, it looks like uh, Amalapuram. Yeah, that is the place that you need to go. Because we all have vision. People are speaking into our lives. God says, you know what? I need to separate you from the crowd and I have to individually deal with you. You got that everybody? So first principle, what God does is he, in order to do a deep work in us, he separates us from the crowd. You see, it happened to all of me also, no? When I was, first time when I came to the Lord, I had a bunch of guys. We are the cool dudes. We just, we just caught, we just repented, but no growth, nothing. You know what happens when there's no growth, nothing in mainland churches? They give you responsibility, first of all, to keep you. And you, then you think that you're president, they call you president, secretary, president, or a youth president. That fellow doesn't know a thing about the Bible. What, what is he? Youth president. Secretary. And now he's like wearing the badge of president and if you tell him something, that fellow will go, hmm, president. I'm remarkable. No, how God just separated me from in different ways, set me apart, set me apart, set me apart. And I'm sure He has done that with all of us in different ways. Separated us from the crowd, from the non-believing crowd initially, and then also from the believing crowd. Hmm. He has to do that, both two things in our lives. He has to separate us from the non-believing crowd and he has to separate us from the believing crowd also. Otherwise, we will have their smell. You know, God had a tremendous plan for Paul. You know, what he did, he separated and put him in the wilderness for three and a half years. So that his theology will be absolutely pure. Separation and, 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 and working on us as individuals. Another place, Luke's Gospel chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was Pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake, by the, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land. Okay, you got that? First, what, who was there? The crowd was there. And he sat down. And you need to understand, you know, I mean, I went to, uh, uh, recently we went to uh, uh, Goa, you know, and we went to the, went to the beach. And you know, the sound of the beach... Know the sound, right? People from Baisa. Can you imagine Jesus preaching to a huge crowd from the beach with all that background sound? What kind of a voice did he have? No microphone, no prayer, no personal PA system, nothing. Public announcement system, nothing. A huge crowd, and he speaks to everybody in the crowd from a beach. I'm like shocked. Unbelievable, God is. But look at what it says. 
And 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 uh, on, okay, so let's move on. And as he sat down and he taught the people the boat, and when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out, put out on onto the into the deep and let down your nets." Okay, what is that? Put out into the deep. God has to do a deep work. Okay, so what should he do, Simon? Shallow waters me nahi. Shallow waters, everything is shallow. Everything is emotional. Oh, I feel the presence of God today. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> a lot of people like that. All emotional fellows. They have no depth. Unfortunate. Christianity is full of people like that. And the songs are all feeling, feeling, feeling. And then, and when he had done this, they enclosed, and enclosed, and you see, remember that he asked him to put a net on the other side. Uh, they, they, uh, they enclosed and uh, so, uh, enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, etc. But when Simon Peter saw it, they fell down at Jesus' knees. And you know what he said? Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Let me show you a principle over here. Jesus was preaching to the crowd, but the Spirit was dealing with Simon. You need to understand that. Again, 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 again this principle coming. Again this principle. This is found in Luke's Gospel chapter 8. This is woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. Look at what it says. Uh, she came up from behind them. This is a lady with the issue of blood for several years. 12 years. Okay. She came up behind him, touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased and Jesus said, who touched me? Peter, who was dealt with by God, from separated from the crowd a few minutes, I mean, few chapters earlier. Now he speaks out. Master, the crowd surround you. He already forgot. And are pressing on you. And Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out of me. And you know what happens to that woman? And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down from before him, declared in all the presence of the people what had happened. You know what God is doing? Singling her out of the crowd. You know, it happens a lot of time in the meetings. You know, the pastor preaches a fantastic message. Fired up message or not not so fired up message. And then one individual will come to the pastor after the meeting and say, you know, how do you know my situation? You spoke to my heart. The pastor has no idea about your situation. You know what God is doing? He's speaking to you individually. Separating you out from the crowd. Even now, I might have prepared a general word for all of us, but you know what? God, the Spirit of God is taking that word and applying it into each one of our individual lives. What a God we serve. Hallelujah. Oh, you can say hallelujah. Hallelujah. See that? Hallelujah. God is working in each one of our lives, separated from us. Separated and he's talking to us individually. There is no group identity because God is interested in individuals. Got it? In this age where we are all identified as brown, kapu, kamma, reddy, reddy Christian, Brahmin Christian, whatever Christian. No group identity. God it's dealing with us individually. So what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us? If Look at this principle, okay? If God deals with us as individuals, that means he has a specific plan for Ah! Oh, otherwise, why should he waste all his resources on one person? 
You understand that? Look at this principle, okay? This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read this, okay? We are called of the what of Christ? Uh, what, are the, what, are, what, what of Christ are we called? The body of Christ, right? We are called the body of Christ. Look at what Paul says. Look at this principle, okay? I'm not, I want to show this specific principle to you. Let me tell you something. There are two great mysteries in your life. You know, the first mystery is how you got saved. It's a mystery. Remember? I mean, I went to church all the days of my life. Till one day, I never heard the gospel. Nobody preached the gospel. No, no, no. It is not that nobody preached the gospel. You were never ready for the gospel. Many people came and preached the gospel. One day, you heard the gospel. That's the problem. Oh, I went to church after church after church. No, no, no. It's not a problem with the church. The problem is what? Was with you. Sometimes, you know, people will come and flatter us. Oh, I came to your church and saved, I got saved. No, it's not that you came to our church and got saved. No, no, it's not. We are not flattered over here. Okay. <laughs> you, went, you might have gone to other authentic churches too, but the point is that you were never ready for the gospel. So the point here is this. If God deals with us individually, that means each one of us has a what? The second great discovery or mystery in our lives is what is my specific work in the body of Christ? Do you understand? See, if because God is not going to deal with us. He doesn't say, all blind people stand here, all lame stand, all deaf. Every blind person, he deals with them separately. You know that? You know, two, two blind people keep following him, right? Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. He doesn't even turn. Have mercy, have mercy. And then he enters into the house. They also enter along with him into the house. Then he turns and says, what do you want? What has he done? separated them from the crowd. And then he says, what do you want me to do to you? We want our sight. According, he touches them and he says, according to your faith be done unto you. Now it again depends upon the individual faith. Now if one guy says, yes, God is powerful, maybe only one eye can be healed. And the other fellow thinks, both eyes can be healed. Once, according to his faith, one eye will be healed and the other fellow will have both eyes. One fellow will go go and start off the church of the one eye. And other fellow will start church of two eyes. But, you see, it all depends upon the individual. Ultimately, God deals with us individually and therefore we have a specific plan and therefore understand this body of brothers and sisters. There is no competition in the body of Christ because every one of us has a specific plan. I'll tell you this, look at this principle, okay? Beautiful principle. I'll show you, uh, I'll read a set of verses and then you will see the principle coming at the end. So be patient, okay? We're not used to reading, okay? But let us read now. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 onwards. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with... Oh my goodness. Christ, understand this. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. Okay, and then go on. For the body does not consist of... Okay, how many of you saw only I moving like that? That is what many people think, the body of Christ is, only I. One I Christian. Okay. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that that would not make it any less a part of the body. That's a problem, that's a problem in Christianity, you know, because everybody is individual, they have their opinion. 
You are a foot. No, 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 no. Well, how dare you call me foot? I am hand. Ayo. If you are not for the, for the feet, how can I move from one place to the other? Oh, you will sit and nicely be the hand and you ask me to do the dirty work? No, that's exactly what happened, right? Joshua goes and fights. Moses goes to the mountain and pray. Joshua will say, We'll do one thing. We will reverse. I will go and pray. You go and... Did he say that? You know, that's exactly what happens in Christianity. Cha! You want me to do the feet? Do the dirty work. You will be the hand. Hobbo. They don't understand. They are all a part of the one body. See that? No, let, let's read it. Let's read it. Okay. But, okay. But if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. You see? You know what? It's, it's put in what comma, what quotes? It's put in quotes. Do you see that? That means, in the body of Christ, every 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 member has an attitude, Baba. <laughs> okay, they all speak their mind. <laughs> they have an opinion. That is what we call as a executive body. This is found in Baptist Church. I'm sorry, but <laughs> okay, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less the part of the body, right? If the whole body were an eye. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, everybody say, God arranged in his sovereignty. In the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? It's a rhetorical question. For all of us. As it is, as it is, there are many bodies yet, many members yet, or many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. Think about functioning without kidneys. You will know. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Look at that. Which are more pre- uh, presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the one, to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do you see that? That is the reason why when Jesus confronts Paul. You know what he says? Saul, Saul, why have, why are you? Persecuting? Me. Me? Yeah, I don't, I'm not separate from the body. I am equal to my body. When they suffer, I suffer because I'm the head. I'm telling as a head, I need my feet. And you are, you fellow are troubling the feet over there. The whole point of all this is found in verse 27, the summarization of this. Look at this beautiful verse. Look at what he says. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it.
Everybody is individual, but they are all part of one body and every individual has a special purpose. You see, you have a destiny nobody else can fulfill. And every circumstance in your life has been tailor-made for making you what God wants you to be. And what is happening in the church? Everybody wants to become the mouthpiece. Uh, and the irony is, people who are called to be in the mouthpiece will say, Baba, I don't want to be the mouthpiece. And that's exactly what happened to me. You are going to preach. I said, no, I don't want to preach. <laughs> no, 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 I don't want to preach. God says, precisely the reason why you'll preach. See, everybody has an individual and that's a greatest discovery, okay? So if you, if God is dealing with you as individuals and doing a deep work in you, that means you as an individual has a specific part to play in the body of Christ. And without you, the body is not complete. Do you understand that? Do we understand that? First Peter chapter 4. Above all, keep on loving one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one of you has... Will receive a gift? No. Has received a gift. Oh, I am not gifted at all. Who said? If you say that you are not gifted, you are calling. Ah, I wanted you to say that. I am calling God a liar. How many of you want to make him a liar? You dare not make him a liar. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Grace of God is varied. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that. I love that word. In order that. Okay. Paul, Peter is a logician too. Okay. Fisherman turned logician. Okay. You'll find them in the Bible. In order that. In everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong what? Glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, the reason why people want specific parts in the body is for their glory. They don't want God's glory. That is the reason why the whole mess in Christendom. Everybody wants to be preaching. Everybody wants to be in the worship team. Everybody wants to be. You know, I, I, I'll tell you something. One, one preacher said, uh, you should never give anybody the pulpit. You should give him the toilet first. Let him clean the toilet. That's how we started in our church. We're all toilet cleaners. Boldly we can say and very proudly we can say. We had the privilege of cleaning God's toilets. Everybody, from the pastor. Right there, first when we started, 2008. He shocked us when he ended up in the toilet. Washing and cleaning and smelly toilet. That was one of the worst toilets you can ever have there in, in Abbots. Because it was used for every other function. And every time we used to come back on Saturday evening to clean, some function would have happened and the the whole place sometimes would be an absolute mess, stinking. But God had to teach us. You see. Alright. So, that is the reason, you know what Peter says, we are all what stones? Living stones. You know what God does, how he works on individual living stones? what What he does is this. He says, in building the temple, only stones dressed at the quarry, I like the word dressed, at the quarry were used. No hammer, no chisel or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site where the temple was being built. 
And that's exactly what is happening with each one of us. God is using and working in our lives individually. Chiseling it out, chiseling it out, beating tongue once sometimes, literally sometimes and, uh, and through other, through different, different ways so that we can be humbled. The temple was constructed using finished stones, cut at the quarry, so no hammer or any, any, any iron tool. Uh, in temple, uh, sorry, was used, was heard in the temple while it was being built. So the question I need to ask ourselves today, are you being dealt with by God today in specific areas of your life? Question, individually. Yes? If yes, are you cooperating with him or are you fighting him? Okay? Okay, now that's first principle. So God use works wants to do a deep work in us. So first he singles us out. Individuals. Second thing, he separates us. But how does he separate us? This is what, what we call as Kariath. Kariath means what? Separation. Okay? The book of Kariath, he separates us by doing something very interesting. You know how he separates us? By hiding us. What is God saying? Hide yourself at the brook of Kariath. What does it mean? Hide yourself from your enemies? No. God can save Elijah, Elijah from his enemies. Remember when the king sent uh, his entourage to capture Elijah? Man of God, king is calling. If I am the man of God, let fire come down from heaven. Boom, gone. So it is not for protection of Elijah. There's something God is working in Elijah's life. Separation, singling out, separating him through a process of hiding him. God separates us by hiding us. John Bunyan, you know John Bunyan? His famous work, uh, everybody knows Pilgrim's Progress. That is his work. God does not do a work through us unless he does a deep work in us. The testimony of the deep work in us is John Bunyan's another another book called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. That's his another work. Okay. I'm just going to read an excerpt from John Bunyan's Grace Abounding from the Chief of for the Chief of Sinners. John Bunyan. John Bunyan's words. Okay. God has put me in a place. This is in prison. Okay. Uh, uh, John Bunyan is put in prison because he was preaching and uh, he was put in prison because of because he was not a licensed preacher. <laughs> In those days, they need to have a license to preach. Okay. Uh, because he was not a licensed preacher, he was chucked into prison. Because you know what? If you are a licensed preacher, the state will tell you what to preach. And John Bunyan said, nonsense. I am going to preach what God wants me to preach. I am not going to preach what you want me to preach. So he was always put in prison. And one thing he could have just done, you know. Okay, I will preach what you want me to preach. And he would have just been let go. But you know what? This is what? The Pilgrim's Progress, everybody knows. But look at what he says in Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. This is John Bunyan. God has put me in a place where I can no longer live on my work. I can no longer live on my family. I can no longer live on my friends. I can no longer live on my pleasures. I can no longer live on my ministry. That is difficult. I have to live on God who is invisible. That is what is called hiding. Where is John? Where is that mighty preacher Baba? We don't see him on the streets. We don't know what happened. Where is he? In the jail being hidden by God. So that God can do a deep work in us. And you know what? In that 
time when he was in prison, he dreamed a dream, that's what he says, and he wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, which has become the next bestseller in the world after the Bible. What an awesome God. What is the principle over here? What is the principle over here? Colossians chapter 3, verse, look at this. What is that? You look at no? I, 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 I. I no longer, I no longer. This is the principle. I no longer, 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 I no longer. That is what hiding is. Where you come to the point in your life, you say, I no longer. I no longer. That's exactly what happened to Augustine. You know, remember Augustine's story? After Augustine was converted, he lived an absolutely loose life. Multiple partners. And after he got converted, one of his girlfriends was walking. Okay? On the road. He was also walking. She recognized him. And he said, she said, Augustine, how are you? Augustine just passed by her, acting as if he didn't know her. She's a little offended, no? I mean, you don't pay attention to a girl. She will make her voice heard. Okay? So she turned and said, Augustine! He said, yes, lady. Augustine, it is I. You know what Augustine said? I know, madam, but it is no longer I. Finished. It is no longer I. That is what we call as hiding. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 3. Okay. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. You know what? That's exactly what John Bunyan is saying. I no longer live on my family. I no longer live on my Ministry, I no longer live on my parents. I no longer, God has stripped me of all those things which I thought were sustaining me. Remember, I was still talking to the Bible study yesterday. Jacob at the river Jabok. Somebody gives him the information, Esau is coming. With 400 young men. Lubdub, lubdub, lubdub. Now his Scheming, no, what to do now, what to do now, what to do now. So he does one thing. He divides his entire assembly into the in, in increasing order of love. Okay. First least loved concubine. Next least loved concubine. Concubine. Next lesser loved wife. And the beloved Rachel. She's closest to him. And it's very interesting. He sends them away with all the stuff. And you know something? What happens? It is night and he can't go along with that group. And you know what? Scripture says he is left alone and a man wrestled with him. Left alone. His parent, his wife, his, his belongings, his children, his ministry, all his wealth gone. Has to be dealt with by God. God has to do that in our in our lives. Hide us. You know how God hides us? He qualifies you and he doesn't give you a job. If you are a child, what are you? Highly qualified. 
What are you doing? No job. Very good. I did that in your life. Otherwise, you will be showing off. Highly qualified, no door opening. Look at what, what Paul says. This is what we call as the work of the cross in our lives. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> that fellow who is causing me to sin, I put him on the cross. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me and the life which I... So there are two eyes over here. The eye which is dead and the eye which is identified with Christ. Hidden in Christ. How do you know that your life is hidden in Christ? It's a question. No. How do I know that my life is hidden in Christ? Do you walk constantly under condemnation and guilt? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are. If your life is hidden in Christ, people can call you any name in the book. It will not touch you because Christ has hidden you. The problem with many people in Christendom is because they want to come out and they want to show off their glory. And you know, every time you want to show off, the devil will say, Please hide. Please hide. You see, are you hiding in Christ? You see, the Christians are bold people. The righteous are what? Bold as a lion and the wicked run when nobody is pursuing. Are you running when nobody is pursuing you? From your conscience? You see, how many of you have seen the movie Ten Commandments? Ah, I'm not talking about the the old one, 1958, 52, I think. Cecil DeMille is the guy who uh, gives the narration for it, no? And remember, I mean, of course, uh, Hollywood takes liberties with the Bible, okay? But we are not going to, that is not Bible. Hmm? Okay, let me tell you, honestly, it is not Bible. Uh, parts of it are the Bible and most of it is Kalpitam, mixture, okay? Because Hollywood, no, there should be some love, love affair over there. So, Nefertari is, is made as Moses' love interest. <laughs> Uh, that's too much of a liberty, but that's okay. Because Hollywood has to take some liberties, and it took. But there's some, one part where Moses is being sent into the wilderness. Remember that part? Look at what it says. You know, Cecil DeMille is doing the narration. Okay, It's a beautiful narration. Look at what it says. I'm going to read this. Into the blistering wilderness, the man who walked with kings now walks alone. Torn from the pinnacle of royal power, stripped of all rank and earthly wealth. A forsaken man without a country and without a hope. His soul in turmoil, like the hot winds and raging sands that lash him with the fury of a taskmaster's whip. This poetic man, okay, he's driven forward, always forward by a God unknown for a land unseen into the molten wilderness where a granite sentinel stand as towers of living death to bar his way. Each night brings the black embrace of loneliness. In the mocking whisper of the wind, he hears the echoing, walk, echoing voices of the dark. His tortured mind wonders if they call the memory of past triumphs or wail forebodings of disasters yet to come or whether the desert's hot breath has melted his reason into madness. He cannot cool the burning kiss of the thirst upon his lips or shed the scorching fury of the sun. All about is desolation. 
He can neither, neither bless nor curse the power that moves him. For he does not know from where it comes. Learning that it can be no more terrible to live than to die. He is driven onward through the burning crucible of desert. Where holy men and prophets are cleansed and purged for God's great purpose. Until at last, at the end of human strength, beaten into the dust from where he came, the metal is ready for the maker's hand. When I heard that, I have tears in my eyes. That is what we call as hiding. One third of his life is hiding from Pharaoh. Can you imagine? 33% of your life is hiding. That's what it says in Luke's gospel chapter 1 verse 18. And the child grew. Who is this child, Baba? John the Baptist. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Was hidden by God. Obscure. Nobody knows. The man who was filled with the Holy Spirit right from the mother's womb. Do you know it? Did people in Judea know? Did people in Bethlehem know? Did people in Nazareth know? Nobody knew in Israel there was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit right from the mother's womb. He was driven into the wilderness. He was hidden by God so that one day God can speak to him. You know what happens one day when God speaks to him? Look, look at what how Luke's Gospel chapter 3 introduces this man. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was a governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria, all the big shots and the accomplished virtuosos of this world. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord circumvented every tomb over there and went and spoke to the one guy in the wilderness hidden by God for so many years. God doing a deep work in him. You understand? What is what, 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 that is what we call as hiding. So don't be in a hurry to do ministry. You know what it says? 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 6. Dangerous. He must not be a ah, simple recent convert. That is what happens in many churches. Recent convert. Brother, I feel I should sing today because of the talent. No, 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 no. You have the talent. I know. Very dangerous. You should not sing. You should go to the toilet and clean it. Your talent, you're talented and the problem is you know it. You're good and you know that you're good. <laughs> you see that? You're very good. That's the problem. Big problem, Baba. Okay. So first we have God dealing with us as singleness, separation by hiding and then we have what? Suffering. What we call as sanctification. Okay, look at, look at what it says. This is a third step. Don't worry. Time is going to stop. I'm going to ask the time to stop like Joshua now. Okay? Let's finish this topic before we leave. First Kings chapter 17 verses 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is again uh, Elijah. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and, ah, don't hide there. Dwell there. We'll understand what is this dwelling, Baba. What is this dwelling? What is dwell? Zarephath means refinery. Have you ever been to a refinery? You don't want to go there. 
uh, I think uh, uh, Patricia and his uh, relative, he works in a cement factory near the furnace. And he says during summer, the temperatures near the furnace come to 55 to 60 degrees centigrade. Hot! Have you ever been through Ramagundam? You just enter into Ramagundam near the thermal power station, you will see the intensity of heat. You don't want to be near the furnace. Much less when the furnace is heated seven times. Okay. What do you call as? Zarefat. What is what we call as? Suffering. Now, the moment we say suffering, everybody gets, should I go through this? I'm telling you honestly, you cannot escape this. If you want God to do a deep work in your life, how many of us want to do, want God to do a deep work in our life? Uh uh-uh. Okay, be very, very careful now, okay? Uh, refinery, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, the, the people will become very apprehensive, but we have to tell you the whole, whole nine yards. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Zarefat, refinery. What does refinery mean? The words of the Lord are pure. Like silver refined in a crucible or in a furnace, like gold refined how many times? Seven times. Seven times means perfect refining. That's exactly what happened to the Hebrew uh, guys, right? Three Hebrews. Nebuchadnezzar was so angry. How many, how many times did he heat up the furnace? Seven times. Now the point is, the word of the Lord is always pure, right? Huh? The word of the Lord is pure. Why should it be refined? Why should the word of the Lord be refined? Is a question. I mean, every, how do you, every, is the word of the Lord truth? Yes, it is truth. Why should it be refined then? I'll tell you, why should it be refined? It's found in the same chapter of First Kings chapter 17 verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord Ah, in your mouth. The word of the Lord is true, but is the word of the Lord in your mouth true? For the word of the Lord to be to be true in your mouth, how many times should it be refined? Seven times. You have to go through the Zarephath experience. Now, what is this Zarephath experience? Let me explain to you. What does it mean? And he says, don't hide in Zarephath. Dwell in Zarephath. Now, what is dwelling in Zarephath, Baba? Let me show you. Uh, it's found in uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 17 and 18. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. We'll come to that later on. They are bronze, tin, iron, lead in the midst of a furnace. They have become dross from silver. What does Zarephath experience means? Why should I dwell there? God puts us, we are what? Metal, right? When when you put the metal into the furnace, it starts melting. Let us say I want get gold out of the metal. Gold has many impurities. Okay? Different, different melting points. Okay. Some melting point is brass. Some melting point is copper. Some melting point is tin. Some melting point is iron. Iron could be lust. Tin could be love of money. Love of pleasure. Unless God puts you into furnace, all these specific areas will not come out. Therefore, you should not hide in Zarephath. What should you do? Dwell in Zarephath. Slowly separate in God, one by one by one by one, the separation takes place. You know what it says in the book of Joshua? There are seven nations more powerful than you and you will not drive them out all at once. How? 
Little by little by little by little. You know what God does? Slowly heats up first. Slowly what will melt? First iron will melt. Example. First lust will go out. Then slowly love of money. At a higher temperature love of money will go out. Then at a higher temperature love of self will go out. Then higher temperature love for others will increase. Then higher temperature seven times slowly. One thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing. Specific, specific, specific sins have to be dealt with by God. And it's interesting, it happens in the absence of Daniel. Do you know, when the Hebrew slaves are put into prison, that Daniel is not there in the story? Because it is easy to believe God under this, because Daniel will pray for you. I'm praying for you, brother, don't worry. He's not there. You have to go through that. Slowly, slowly. Now the problem is this, not everybody... Just because you are going through the fire, not everybody takes it well. Do you know that? You can come out of the fire and become dross. From silver. No silver over there. I am searching for silver, but no silver. Just because you are going through affliction, it does not mean that every person who is going through affliction. See, everybody in the world goes through affliction. Okay. You are to, you tell ten, you, you have seven problems. I can show you a, a non-believer who is going worse through worse problems than you. So what is the difference? A non-believer doesn't matter how many problems he is going through, he will never repent. Look at this principle. Okay, it says in Revelation chapter nine, the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of the great furnace. Do you see that? You see the furnace over there, everybody? Huh? Okay. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Verse 3. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or anything green or anything or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And then, and as they went out, as they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for how many months? Five months. They tormented. The, uh, their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. And they will desire to die and death will flee from them. They are going through tremendous struggle. Verse 18. And by these plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and smoke and brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is for their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like the serpents' heads, uh, serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. What happened? But the rest of the mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works. What is the whole point? You know, it happens to a lot of people. They go through a lot of suffering. In a, in, in, a, in spite of becoming better, they become bitter. Scorp, they have become worse than before. And that's exactly what Ezekiel is saying. Their silver has become dross. I'm searching for silver, no silver. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way through 40 years in the wilderness to what? To humble you. And the biggest thing that God has to do by increasing the temperature of the furnace has to deal with our what? Pride. Biggest hurdle for repentance. You know, pastor was talking to me, you know, he said, one thing, the reason why Ahithophel set his house in order, did he have sorrow? Yes. Did he make restitution? Yes. Did he put his house in order? Yes. But did he live 
Or did he die? He hung himself. You know why? Because he would not humble himself. Pride. Judas, pride. Not humble yourself. What has, what, has, what has happened to your silver? Your silver has become dross. Okay, my dear brothers and sisters. But if you endure through your suffering, you know what? Your life will become a what for God? A sanctuary for God. Who will come and live with you? Jesus himself. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 3. Sorry. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast out three men? The answer, true. But I see four men walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. That's his language. Who is it? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. What has happened through the trial and suffering, the presence of God has come and filled your heart. What else do you need in your life? You know what? One man of God, I think it's some law, I think Peter Law, somebody, he said, if you are not pursuing God, it does not matter what else you pursue. Period. If God is not with you, it does not matter what you do. Okay. See? First, singling. Second, separation. Third, suffering. Fourth, sanctuary. 4S. Remember in your mind. And then you'll say, Baba, should I have to go through this? There is one comforting promise. If you want to take it as a promise, okay? Because suffering is inevitable. But this is a promise. No temptation has overtaken you which is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you to be tested or tempted beyond your ability but with temptation he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. And if your level is 10th, 10th class 10, he will not test you with engineering final year. No. He will buckle under pressure and die. Okay. The testing will be at the level of your maturity. So don't worry. We are all going to, so don't go to the same test. Okay. I'll be in 10th class all my life. Amma, I don't want to. 10th class satisfied. No, 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 no. I'm not going to be satisfied with my, my, with my daughter just studying 10th class. No. Class 10. Sufficient? No way. I want to wanted to finish everything. If I have that desire for my daughter, how much more my father who is in heaven? Because God is not a grandfather. He is a father. And he wants to promote us. So in order to do that, he needs to do a deep work in us. In order to do a deep work in us, what does he do? He singles us out. And then he separates us. Then he causes suffering to come into our lives. And then he makes us into his sanctuary. Amen? Shall we all stand? And then we'll pray and stop today. <sighs> Father, we just thank you, Father, for this day that you have given to us. That you're a good God, as we heard on Sunday. And your mercy 
endures forever. I pray, Father, that you would continue to do a deep work in all of our lives because, Lord, we know and we believe that every one of us has a specific calling in the body of Christ. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would, even as we meditate on your word and allow your work, your your word and your spirit to do a work in our lives, I pray, Father, that even that specific purpose will become more and more clearer in the days to come for us. That we will all together work as stewards of God's varied grace so that in all things your name will be glorified in this church, O Lord, through this body specifically. Thank you, Father. For such a time as this, you have set us apart. And I pray, Father, that none of us will come short of finding his specific purpose in the body of Christ. To that end, I pray that you would bless this word and let it become a part of our lives. Let it become uh, true in our lives, O Lord Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen.